Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Special Operations Covert Ops Espionage The Team House With your hosts, Jack Murphy and David Park. Hey everyone, this is a sort of midweek bonus episode of The Team House. We don't usually cover breaking news on this show. But I, you know, considering everything that's going on in Afghanistan right now, as you know, the country collapsed much faster than our government anticipated, and that stranded a lot of American citizens, as well as green card holders and uh, special immigration visa holders, uh, Afghans who worked with us and with our government in the country as the Taliban essentially surrounded them. So there have been a lot of veterans who have stepped up. Um, Obviously, our government is trying to step up right now. Uh, to try to get these people out before the August 31st deadline for a full withdrawal hits. So, again, we don't normally cover kind of breaking news on this show, but I had Mick hit me up this week. He is part of one of these efforts of veterans who are trying to help Afghans get out. He hit me up, said, hey, we're trying to do media engagement. We need help. We need volunteers. And since Dave and I kind of, this is what we do. We are sort of media guys, YouTubers. Like it or not, this is sort of what we do. So I figured we should use the platform to kind of help the folks out there who are trying to do a good thing. So uh, Mick and Worth, if you guys could first introduce yourselves and and kind of your backgrounds um, very quickly, um, then we'll kind of get into the situation in Kabul today. Mick, won't you lead off? Sure. Uh, so first of all, thank you for doing this. Uh, like you mentioned, we, we really need volunteers, and I think your audience probably is full of people that could really, really step up and immediately uh, add value. So by way of background, uh, Mick Mulroy, I was a Marine. I was a paramilitary officer in the CIA until I retired and then went and worked as the Deputy uh, Secretary for the Middle East under Secretary Mattis Esper. Now I work for ABC News as a national security correspondent and as you can see over my well-placed picture of my uh, my consultant group, I do with uh, Eric Ulrich, a retired SEAL. And I am a member of the group of which uh, Worth uh, speaks on behalf. So I'm here to support him and just discuss the general situation. But Worth is is doing the uh, the talking for the for the uh, Dunkirk group. And so, as should be evident from uh, from Mick's intro, my name's Worth Parker. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Spent about the last 15 years of my career, which ended just back in June uh, at, at the Marine Special Ops Command as a Raider and then preceded that with a bunch of time at Force Recon. So I've spent uh, a lot of time within the SOCOM world. Um, Task Force Dunkirk is is an organization that kind of sprung up about a week ago when all of this was went off. Um, honestly, the uh, the genesis for, for my involvement was last Sunday. So we're, what, 10 days into this now? Uh, a Marine who reached out to me, who's a prior Afghan Terp, now American citizen and, and U.S. Marine, said, hey, sir, can you help me out? And uh, my family's still in Kabul. And, and at the time, I didn't know what I could do, really. Uh, but I've been watching another Marine, Major Tom Schumann, who's managed to get his interpreter here uh, to the States or in route to the States. And I was kind of inspired by that. 
ended up helping this this other marine and that has grown uh and we've ultimately aligned ourselves with an outfit called team america which is a really impressive bunch of of younger vets who are way more digitally capable and, and way more agile and nimble than than all of us guys in our late 40s and early 50s what we bring to the fight to support them is, is a lot more contacts reach and the ability to pick up a phone and call people that can affect things on the ground so coming together uh as one we are now in support of a 501c3 called no one left behind no one left behind is um been in place since i think 2014 uh, and has been focused on resettling afghan and iraqi interpreters and now they've moved to full-blown humanitarian aid um so there's going to be a huge need going forward and I'm, I'm real happy to talk about that and I, I just want to throw it up there and while we're at the beginning of the episode if you look down the description of this video you're going to see a couple email addresses and one of them they're they both come from this organization they uh the first email is for people who need help being evacuated from afghanistan right now the second email is for people who want to volunteer to help out mick and worth with this effort so if you go down there you'll find those emails in the description um so the first question i want to kind of hit you up with because there's actually a lot of rumors um that are just spreading like wildfire all around um the veteran community as well as in in kabul itself what is the current situation at the international airport in Kabul, what is going on on the ground right now? Nick? So, yeah. yeah, I'm going to start. Yeah, so, I mean, the latest thing is there was just an alert went out, I think, from the U.S. Embassy that they expect uh, an imminent attack. Um, some of the key uh, gates to get into the airport, right? So it's only like 4.30 in the morning there now, so I don't, I don't know how many people are actually out there, but that's, that's caused a lot of scramble. Um, Obviously, we're getting close to the end, to the, to the 31 uh, August deadline, which means pretty soon we're going to have to start retrograding a lot of, a lot of our forces, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to, quite frankly, uh, end the uh, evacuation of SIVs, I would assume. But we're not giving up. I think, as Worth already mentioned, we're not going to give up, obviously, until the 31st deadline, and we're not going to give up after. So I do want people to um, go to that that email that you already posted, sign up, whether you have an SAV or in the process of getting an SAV or you need to start. Uh, there, is, there is a way to do that right now. And then uh, after the U.S. has left, uh, you know, HKIA, we're still going to be there to try to help people facilitate them any way we can to get out of the country. And if they have the proper documentation, get to the United States. And then, of course, like worth mentioned, uh, all these, this, the 501c3 is facilitating their resettlement here with uh, no man left behind, no one left behind. Yeah, I just read that I think uh, Airbnb like is going to temporarily house 20,000. Um, I mean, there are a lot, yeah, there are a lot of efforts that people, uh, what, what are some of the most difficult parts of the coordination going on right now? Um, I, I think at the ground level, and that's really where everything, and you guys know, this is where it always happens, um, is just the simple understanding of, of what's clear policy and what's um, a notion developed over time. Um, I, I think, one, I want to go ahead and just say, I, I know a, a good number of the, the more senior folks on the airfield. Um, I had the pleasure of talking to a Marine on the airfield last night who, who was able to help us save some lives um 
And, and I told him, I mean, it's weird, man. I've spent 27 years as a United States Marine. I've never been prouder uh, of Marines than I have been this week with their willingness to just to go out and do what they got to get done to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and their willingness to pick up the phone and hear a voice on the other end that says, hey, I'm Mark Parker. I'm a retired lieutenant colonel, and, and I need you to do this. Um, and, it, you know, obviously they're operating within the mandate of their mission, but if what I need is within their capability set, they've been executed. Um, and I, I just think that's an incredible testament to the American service member. But it's still yeah, – yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I just wanted to footstop what you were saying there. So, I mean, there's going to be, and probably rightfully so, a lot of criticism on the decision, uh, both to withdraw and not leave a residual force, and how we actually withdrew. But I don't think there'll be any uh, righteous criticism on the Herculean effort that went on with our U.S. military, with our uh, foreign service officers, with the intel officers, with all the Americans that have been doing, uh, which is which is going to be the largest airlift in history. And I really do think we ought to recognize that because this is this is obviously not not uh, looking good for a lot of from a lot of perspectives around the world. But it's not because of uh, anything that our military didn't do. They did everything I think they could to make this work. Uh, and and I think we need to recognize that. Yeah, I mean, and that it's it's amazing. It goes all the way up. Um, I I happen to know the the Mew commander. Um, and I reached out to him last night and I said, Hey man, I I got something I need now. He's doing something probably a whole lot harder and a whole lot more substantial than anything I've got going on much more complex. Um, he's got all those Marines and sailors that he's worried about equipment, security, everything else in the middle of a pretty mad situation. And his response was, what do you need? Um, that's, that's pretty amazing. But I think it's also, it speaks to, you know, the, the relationships that we've all built over the last 20 and 25 years. You know, I've known that particular guy since 1993. Um, but it, it also brings to the fore, hey, man, a lot of people, a lot of us, our community, we've grown up in Afghanistan. We've grown up next to the guys that, are, that we're trying to help now. I mean, I'm 48 years old, and 9-11 was, you know, I was 28 or about to be 29. Um, we came of age with these guys. And so the, the notion that we would walk away from them is just a non-starter. Right. Who are these dudes, the, these Afghans that you're getting out? I know, you know, we don't need to talk about names and specifics. I could compromise anyone. But, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about who these people are that you worked with that you're now trying to get out of the country. Yeah, so I mean, I, I spent 13 months, I think, in, in Afghanistan in aggregate, uh, two different deployments with two different special ops task forces. And I worked very closely with Afghans both times. And specifically, my last one, um, I was the, the J5 of Siege of Alpha, so Combined Joint Special Ops Task Force for Afghanistan, for anybody that doesn't speak militarese. Um, and my, one of my chief portfolios as the J5 was partnership and working with uh, Anasak, the commandos and the special forces, um, and supporting them and training them and equipping them, et cetera. And I think, you know, we watched over the last year, year and a half, as they've borne the brunt of a lot of the, the, the worst fighting in Afghanistan. Um, and those, so those are guys that were obviously very focused on, but the truth of the matter is I'm interested in, in anybody. I mean, a debt of loyalty is a debt of loyalty. And moreover, kind of a message I really want to get out to people as I've been talking to the press this week is, 
this is not a military issue. This isn't a, a, a bro issue. This is an issue of humanity. Mm-hmm. When you hear the stories coming out of there, like how you could not want to help blows my mind. Or, I mean, if anybody didn't want to, I really hadn't been getting anybody. I'm, I'm swarmed with people that want to help. Yeah. And I, I got to be a little more coy about my, my time there, as uh, Dave would tell you. But um, essentially, it was just like every other paramilitary officer. I've been, I've been, I spent years in Afghanistan and we've, uh, and working and fighting alongside Afghans who I think put everything on the line, not just for their country, but quite frankly for me and my friends who are usually a very small component in a much larger Afghan unit. And if it wasn't for them, I, I did lose a lot of friends, but I probably lost a lot more. So I think my, my first take was that. And then I started getting so many people, uh, that were looking out for Afghans that they knew. And in, you know, and it was just super impressive. They wanted to help. They wanted to help their friends. They wanted to help anybody else's friends get out of there. I mean, and, and Worth will tell you without going into details, there's so many chats that we're tracking right now of people trying to help Afghans right now. Like if we turned on our phone, all you would hear was the ping from WhatsApp. It would be just going nonstop during there. And that's all of these volunteers that are doing everything they can day and night to try to facilitate these individuals getting through these very difficult, uh, quite frankly, Taliban checkpoints to get onto the airport to be able to uh, get registered and fly out of there. So it's, it's not going to end, uh, but I can tell you it is, it is truly impressive to see how many people, and it did start, quite frankly, to, to all the, the form this. It did start mostly as a military thing. But I think if we had some of the other people on tonight, you'd see this is rapidly expanded to civilians, people who haven't served in Afghanistan, um, they're the ones that are staying up, you know, all night trying to facilitate. It, it really has gone beyond the initial, you know, military soft uh, intel folks, uh, which is good. Uh, but we need all types. So, uh, you know, it's really helpful that uh, if, if your listeners are listening tonight, they want to be involved, you already gave them the way to do it. And for, for, people, for, for people who do want to be involved, like what are some of the roles that you guys need help with or, or what? how can people help? Well, so, you know, that that's morphing like everything else. I mean, I, it, these things all sprung up a week ago, right? We're not the only, you know, Task Force Dunkirk and Team America are hardly the only entities that exist that are doing very similar things in parallel, enough so that now we're starting to Zoom together and talk and figure out how we can support one another. Um, but, you know, Task Force Pineapple, Digital Dunkirk um, are just two of the ones I'm tracking that are out there doing great things. And uh, Art Talis uh, is a bunch of guys who have got planes and, and in they came and, and out some Afghans went. And so there's a lot of people doing amazing things. And, and Mick brings up a real beautiful point is that the, the involvement of civilians, when the, 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 the rock star story in this whole thing someday when we start telling the story is, is Team America. Um, and Joe Sabo is, is the guy that I, I work with over there. Joe's a, a guy who did a deployment or two, I don't remember how many, to, to Mosul as a young airborne infantry officer, um, formed a relationship with a Terp. I can't even remember if, actually, I think they were working to, to pull a Terp that they, another guy worked with in the Argonaut. But the point of that is uh, young company-grade officers who got out, did the post-service trip. Now they're Joe's a CEO of a tech startup. You know, guys are executives of small businesses, whatever they are. 
Um, they're in their second week of vacation now running a virtual jock that started with three or four guys who said, hey, we've got to get our turp out. And it's turned into 150 volunteers, battle tracking, supporting, counseling Afghans, talking to people. What's the best option? How can we best support these people? So, you know, I've, I've been saying for a number of years, um, you know, people like to millennial bash. But those are people that didn't notice that we spent the last 20 years fighting two wars on their backs. Right. Uh, and, and watching these guys now, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm running on day seven in this room with very little sleep. Uh, but I, I got a little choked up this morning when I woke up at five and Joe had sent me a sit rep on, on something we were working last night and, and he had pushed through 82 Afghans, um, and had them moving forward. Wow. And, and I don't know the last time that guy slept. I, I mean, I keep counseling like I would a Lieutenant, like, Hey, go take care of yourself. Um, he's running hard. What are the bottlenecks right now that you guys are encountering as far as getting, you mentioned like Taliban checkpoints. Is it the checkpoints? Is it the uh, immigration paperwork? Uh, what, are, what are the big roadblocks right now? You know, I alluded to it earlier. It's clarity, right? So what paperwork does someone need? Who you know? What, and I'm just getting this from the ground, right? This is guys on the ground telling me, um, does somebody have the right clarity? But the other thing you have to understand is like, it's the vagaries of, of what these Marines and I'm saying Marines because I know Marines on the gate. I'm sure there's other services there too, but what they're being presented with, you're a 19 year old Lance corporal and a mm-hmm. family of 19 comes up to you. And dad was a Terp for Bravo one five down in the Hellman's, And he's got a piece of paper that says, you know, I'm this or my SIV is, is in status or whatever. You're making decisions at that level. And, and I, I think it's, it's pretty incredible that they're doing what they're doing. There's been multiple occasions when I've gotten a text from Joe. It's like, Hey, sir, I need you to make a phone call. I'm talking to a Marine Sergeant at the, at the gate. Can you talk Marine to Marine? Um, that's the kind of thing that that's happening to clarify, Hey, this is what we're trying to do. This is who this guy is. Can you help us out? And, uh, and, and it's really been pretty amazing. Um, I'm, just like Mick said, uh, apolitical, I'm nonpartisan. I'm not a political guy. I've been a, an executor of policy for 27 years. Uh, I'm not sure that a Lance Corporal should be the one that has to make that decision. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And as I think I think they're dealing with a situation, if you think about it. So you've got the Taliban who's, who essentially already controlled the city once the majority of the evacuation was taking place and we're trying to evacuate people who have visas because they worked with the United States against the Taliban. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you really tried to create a situation uh, to make an evacuation as complicated as possible and then throw in, you know, the threat of ISIS Khorasan, um, that's it. Right. And then you have thousands and thousands and thousands of Afghans that just want to try to get on the airfield who don't have, the proper paperwork and quite frankly don't qualify. So the chaos there, I think, um, is considerable, you know, again, uh, I'm not a partisan either, but you could certainly criticize how we got in these positions, but you can't criticize the effort that's been undertaken by either the official U S effort or these volunteers. And I definitely second, uh, Joe Sabo and his folks. I mean, literally uh, 82, uh, like Worth just said, that was just last night. I don't even know how many people that they, I I watch them every night and they're on like six different evac chats. And I tell you what, it is, it is, uh, it is very difficult, but these, 
these young folks are not giving up. Uh, and I think they've really proven that they've had some, some great successes. So it's a pile of great Americans. So, you know, you guys have mentioned these, these EVAC chats and these, these organizations and groups that are in contact with each other and, and all working together for the larger effort in every crisis or uh, most every crisis, it sort of brings out rifters and, and, or people who may not be looking to make money, but at least, you know, make a reputation. Have you guys had to deal with that? And how hard is it separating, like, the wheat from the chaff in in people who are actually part of the effort, people who are just, you know, grandstanding or showboating, if that's happened at all? Um, I mean, I think some of that exists. I think some of it is 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 silly, and I think we'll see stuff develop. I mean, look. We watched the development of the, of the veterans charity space over, you know, since 9-11, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a past vice president of the Marine Raider Association. Um, very good friends with the guys that run the Marine Raider Foundation. Uh, Doug Livermore with No no One Left Behind um, is, is with uh, Green Beret Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all engaged in those spaces. And we also all know, you know, there's, there's 47,000 veterans organizations out there, 501c3s and whatnot. Um, there's always somebody trying to take advantage of something um, that absolutely exists. I will say, you know, one task force Dunkirk hasn't existed long enough to ask anybody for any money, but we're not gonna, right. We don't need any money. I mean, I'm self-contained. I'm right here in my house doing my thing. Um, You know, likewise team America, purely volunteer 150 people running on fumes in their second week of, of paid time off, hopefully, or they just took leave from their jobs. Um, and a lot of employers have been real generous about, yeah, just go do what you got to do. Go, go save lives. Come back when you're done. Um, we are all in direct support of No One Left Behind, which is a 501c3, which got a long history of credibility. Um, and so I'm real comfortable throwing myself behind that one. Uh, but it, will there be grifters? Absolutely. I haven't seen a whole lot of that. I've seen some silliness. Um, you know, the, the whole Instagram slam full of Instagram commandos. Um, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of those guys that shoot straight or run faster or lift heavier or whatever than I do. But the notion that somebody's going to go, you know, roll out with seven of my bros and fix this is, is fantasy land for right. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Never was and, and, and won't ever be or has been. Yeah, I haven't seen, at least in the Dunkirk Team America conglomeration, I haven't seen any of it. I think worth right. I mean, one, we haven't been around long enough. But two, I mean, it's pure volunteer. I don't, I, this is not, uh, you know, when people, and people have offered, you know, quite frankly, a lot of uh, donations, and we just send them toward uh, no one left behind. Right? That's not what we're here for. We're not here to create some entity that then becomes its own thing and employs people and all that. I mean, we're here, we're here for this one task. No, it's, as far as I'm it's kind of the purest way to do charity work is that it just kind of comes together organically like that for a task and there's no there's no grift there's no corruption there's no time for it to even develop because 
You guys are just hit, hitting the ground running. No, yeah. it's a soft approach to charity, right? I mean, we saw a problem. We wanted to solve the problem. We organized. In a lot of ways, I, I give a, a whole lot of credit to my, my parents' service, at least for my approach to this, to Mac Taffery. You know, let's task organize and get it done. Um, and, and I think that's pretty magical. And frankly, it developed organically. And, and my prediction is it'll go away organically because there's going to be a point when people need to go back to being business executives and right. tech guys and finance pros and whatever else that they are. Uh, I retired a Marine Corps to write for a living. So my, my agent wants me writing. Right. I want to be writing. Not running a jock. Right. I did that. Right. So right now, I mean, it sounds like there's just, I, I don't know. Do you know how many flights are coming out of Afghanistan per day? No idea. The, the official numbers they're putting out are, are like huge, like 20,000 people or something like that being evacuated a day. I don't know how many flights that is, but that's insane. Um, what's the plan after August 31st? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a term of art. I mean, for, for Dunkirk, I would say it's conditions-based. Um, we've, we've built, I, I was talking to an SF guy about it today. Uh, what's happened here, especially the Team America guys, uh, is unbelievable. I mean, if you had told me in my days in uniform, hey, man, you've got about 36 hours to get a battalion-sized element up and running to see to or at least coordinate efforts to move untold thousands of people uh, through processing and towards an airfield and get them off. And, oh, by the way, don't get in the way of DOD who actually has to do this thing um, and do it in accordance with the protocols of the Department of State, uh, I would have been like, yeah, cool story, bro. That's right. <laughs> me, and, me and eight of my bros are going to go put this thing right in Kabul. Um, but it's happened. And, I, and that's where I go back to giving much love to the millennials. I mean, I'm, I'm old. I'd have been like, get out of here. And meanwhile, one of the first time I talked to Joe Sabo, which happened because of a military connection, Jim Webb's a buddy of mine. He wrote a story for Military Times about it. He sent it to me. I read it. I called Joe. Um, and I said, let's get together. And when he's, I was like, you know, we've got like, you know, seven or eight uh, former highly ranking special operators and CIA. And he's like, that's cool. We got 90 people up and running a virtual jock 24 seven and they're all volunteers. Oh, wait, it's 120 now. I just looked, you know, so the, they were just metastasizing as I was talking to Joe. It is, it is incredible. Amazing. And I mean, and you said it with no ego. It was just like, this is what we're doing. And, and, and why wouldn't we? You know, we, we've got slack. Why wouldn't we? Uh, there's going to be all kinds of problems, though. I mean, at, at least from what our government is saying, that we're not going to be able to get everyone out before the deadline. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Mick, I throw that one to you since it's kind of an inherently a, a political question as well uh, in regards to the military being there. How do you think we're going to handle this? So, yeah, and, and that's not as my role as a member of uh, Dunkirk, but just as an analyst of policy, not politics, but policy. I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions about why we, wouldn't, we weren't willing uh, to leave a residual force in Afghanistan to preserve everything we fought for in the last 20 years, uh, quite frankly. Our strategic objectives were to remove the Taliban because they helped, uh, they allowed a safe haven in the country uh, for terrorist organizations. Now, the Taliban is back in charge of Kabul, and we're worried about a terrorist threat to us in Kabul. So the question of whether they're going to house 
uh, terrorist organization has been answered. They are. Um, so from a policy perspective, and, you know, this is bipartisan uh, criticism, if you will, um, because this was a carryover from administration to administration, that's going to have to, people are going to have to answer that question for a long time. And then how we did this with allowing uh, the basically the Kabul uh, area to collapse prior to exfiltrating all the Americans, the uh, embassy staff, and, and the SIV. Um, but again, we are where we are. So the State Department said today there's about 1,500 Americans left by their count. There's another media report that's like 5,000. I don't know which one it is any more than anybody else. But we need to do everything we can as a country to ensure that every one of them uh, gets out that wants to get out. Because, you know, we have an absolute obligation to American citizens to get them out of a country that is going to be ruled by a group like the Taliban. So um, I thought we should extend the deadline. I thought we should just tell the Taliban what we're doing and not necessarily, not, not necessarily, not negotiate with the Taliban and just say, you know, we are still the United States and we have more combat power to project in any other country in the world, we should say. Um, but we decided not to do that. So uh, how are they going to leave and leave no other military, U.S. military presence there when there's still Americans who may want out? I'm not sure, uh, but we'll see when we hit the deadline of 31 August. But I think most people are saying we're not going to get all the Americans. We're certainly not going to get all the SIV holders out. And, and, I mean, there's historical precedent for this, right? I, I wrote an article for the National Interest Magazine back in April, co-authored with Milt Bairden. Milt was the chief of station in Pakistan uh, during the war that the, the Soviets had in, in Afghanistan. And history tells us, A, this was going to happen. Uh, and B, that we will see Afghans come out of, of Afghanistan for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the the critical emphasis I put on no one left behind, is that you're going to see the diaspora grow, right? There's a lot of, of Afghan expats living in Northern Virginia, in Texas, in Northern California, and those communities are about to grow. Um, they have to. And, and they're also going to need support. You know, I've, I've said this 12 times today, so it's not, it's, it's going to sound canned, but, um, you know, I, I wish the average American would think of it like this. You know, I'm going to call you tomorrow morning at about zero two zero three. I'm going to tell you to grab all the cash that you have, shove it in your pocket, leave everything else behind, grab your toddlers. I need you to get to the airport. When you get to the airport, there will be about a quarter mile worth of mosh pit that you've got to pull your five toddlers through and your wife. Um, and when you get there, hopefully you get through a gate. If you get through the gate, hopefully you get through another gate. Hopefully you get manifested for a flight. And if you do, you're going to a third country for some indeterminate amount of time. Once you get there, hopefully then you're going to get to America where you've got some sort of sponsorship. But when you do, like all the stuff that made you a middle-class American, your flat screen and your one week of vacation a year at the beach and your monster truck, like that doesn't exist anymore. Your 401k is out the window. You don't have plates anymore. Mm -hmm. So you're starting completely over. We need to be thinking about how we're going to handle that just as simple human beings. If I see my neighbor's truck in the ditch, I stop and I pull it out. Well, this is, you know, the world's biggest truck in the world's biggest ditch. And, and I'm not going to not stop and pull it out. Yeah, when uh, my interpreter in Iraq, who's a Yazidi, he thankfully got out with his family 
maybe just a year before ISIS hit the place and the whole genocide that happened there. But there was a uh, there was a Christian charity group waiting for him in Nebraska that resettled his entire family and really took care of him. I mean, it's just it was amazing. And as you point out, you know they they're already I think planning to put many of these Afghans on uh, military housing at Fort Bliss and some bases in Wisconsin. But I mean, this is this is going to be a secondary major effort to resettle all of these folks and integrate them into the United States. Yeah, and if I could add to that, Jack, I think the American population needs to know that these people are the people that we want here. Some of them risk their lives, risk their lives to uh, support the U.S. in Afghanistan. They are the type of people we want as citizens. So. Right. To the extent that any of this, you know, we don't want these folks in our country is happening out there, people need to push back against that right. strongly. We are a nation, and I'm not getting political here, but, you know, I'm an Irish guy, and I'm in Montana, Irish-American, and I'm in Montana. So we're a nation of immigrants. These are the type of immigrants we want. Right. They're super good people. They've proven their dedication uh, to the same ideology that we have in our country. And we need to support them come to this. And we need to be, just like you said, we need to be that group in Nebraska that's, that's taking in folks and helping them get settled here. It's not, it's not enough just to get them here. It's enough to get, we need to actually help them assimilate into our society right. and embrace them because they are the type of people we want here. You know, and since it's a, a veteran, a bunch of vets talking to a primarily bunch of vets audience, you know, that the thing I say too is, about one percent of America serves. About a half of half of a percent, I think, saw can or point zero five percent sees actual combat. You know. Meanwhile, uh, I always say all the time, I did one combat tour in Iraq, and then I did two tours to combat zones in Afghanistan, and that's just the difference between being a captain major and being a lieutenant colonel. Um, but a lot of these Terps. They were on a combat deployment for six or eight years. Yeah, you know the, uh, the the Marine whose family I helped, he got shot well before he ever joined the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. He saw scads. Of, I don't know if he's ever seen combat as a Marine. Doesn't have a combat action ribbon, but he's seen a whole lot more combat than I have. Um, so I think thinking about that and recognizing that that that's the kind of people that are coming. These are people who have actually shed their blood in support of this nation. Right, which is vastly more than ninety nine percent of the nation has endeavored to do over the last twenty years, when many people had an opportunity. Right, and and I think that it's kind of lost on people sometimes that these people lived with daily risk. You know that it wasn't just a combat operation where they risked their life; it was just going home for the weekend. You know, uh, where they might get rolled up by people who have. Been, informed on them or whatever else um their lives were always at risk every single day no matter what they were doing yeah when i was in iraq every time one of the interpreters said he was going to go home for a vacation i assumed i would not see him again yeah and the i I remember one of our one of the best guys we had i mean he was he was in with all the force recon guys um he got dropped off at the gate of a fob in a bag Mm -hmm. um, small pieces in a bag yeah And that's all because he worked with us. Yep. So, guys, like, I know there's a, there's a lot of uh, veterans out there who are feeling like shit over all of this. Um, people who are just down on it. You guys have kind of, you know, stepped up and been, stayed really proactive on it. I was wondering if you can share some success stories 
with folks out there to help them understand what it is that you're doing, help them understand these Afghans. Um, I know it's been a long uh, couple of weeks, but if you have any anecdotes that you can tell um, about getting people out of there, that'll give people a good idea of what it is that you're endeavoring to do here. Yeah, I mean, th those are happening daily and nightly. As I said last night, um, I was smoked yesterday. I, I don't know why, you know, but sometimes you have those days. This is the closest I feel like I've had real combat ops in a long time. And I mean, in years, well, not, not just because I'm retired. Um, and I just really needed to get some sleep last night. And I was headed towards the bed when, of course, the bing, 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 bing started from the, from the signal. And, you know, we had guys we were trying to push through. Um, and, and as I said earlier, you know, it took a concerted effort of reaching out to the, the Mew commander. It took a concerted effort of, I, I just dialed the cell phone of the Marine officer at the gate and he picked up and I was like, Hey captain, here's who I am. Hey Roger, sir. Well, you don't have to call me sir anymore. I'm worth cause I'm retired, but this is who I am. This is my creds. And you can ask the Mew commander if I am who I say I am. Um, <laughs> I, I need some help. Um, and he said, Roger, sure, got him. Well, I, I thought we had it sorted out. I woke up this morning. He had sent me some more texts trying to get some refinements. Um, and I hadn't answered him in five or six hours. And I was like, I blew the yacht, right? It's OBE. And uh, I sent him a text. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Thank you so, so much for trying. You know, I know you did what you could. He's like, hey, sir, we rolled out and got him. Um, like I, and I, I have tears running down my face at 530 this morning because it was like, I asked a Marine to do something and he did it because another Marine called him from the other side of the world and said, Hey, we're going to try and save some lives here, bro. Can you do it? And he did it. And, uh, that to me as 82 bodies that came through that gate last night, because a bunch of vets said, this is the kind of, you know, this isn't going to stand. We're going to take care of these people. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm getting a little emotional right now about it. Um, but I, it's, I mean, it's the realest thing I've ever seen. I, I wish I was still in uniform for it, um, in a way. Although I wouldn't be liberated to do what we need to do and what we are doing. Like, right. But uh, I, I just could not be prouder. Like I, I told, I've told several of these guys forward. I got pretty cynical and grumpy and grouchy there the last few years of my career. As as, as I said, I was a professional XO. I was I was America's XO, um, and. I, it's like these guys are just like rebuilding the fire. Like I just want to be back in uniform again, and, and it's like being 19 again, and I want to paint an eagle globe and anchor on everything. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's amazing, and, and it, as dark as it all seems, and as a friend of mine said a week and a half ago, I feel emotionally paralyzed, and and I I pretty much did too. Um, this is going a long way to at least reminding me that there's some real goodness in, in, in our national character. So I'd add, uh, I'll just add one short story. I have a lot of, a lot of people that reached out to me and I get them to worth and I get them to Joe. And quite frankly, there's so many chats going on. I don't even know which one gets it, but they usually ping me later and, and tell me whether they got on the flight. And that's when I realized it all worked. But the one that really stuck out and a long time ago, and I'll be vague with this, but we, you know, we, in my unit, we've lost a lot of people in Afghanistan, but we were on a patrol uh, in the middle of nowhere. And one of the guys who was with us said, hey, this is actually my village. I'd love you to stop and have some chai in my house. So we're like, okay, sounds like a good idea to us. Um, we went in there and they had, they had the pictures of two of the guys that, uh, 
they killed in my unit on the wall. And if and I know a lot of your uh, listeners understand this, but that's not something that's usually done in a, in a uh, Muslim uh, society, pictures of people. So that person was one of the persons that got out with their family. And the only thing he texts me is, I brought the pictures. And, and I, I, I got to offer one more just because you know, I, I could sit here and pile them on all night long and we could just go back and forth. But one that's, that's close to me, you know, my last deployment, uh, one of our really more, you know, every unit has the guys who are kind of the legend guys. And, and one of him was killed in action. And uh, he'll be inducted into the Commando Hall of Honor down at SOCOM in October. Um, but I got a, a message from a guy who's out now, former Marsoc Raider. Hey, here's this guy. We really need to get him out. Do you think you can help? We all start doing our thing. And, uh, and this morning I had pictures of him, you know, as a selfie on the plane. Um, and it, that, that sort of thing, that guy got out. We were able to let his, his wife know, his wife's an American citizen, um, that her husband was going to be able to join her. And, uh, and it was just, it was a really beautiful thing, man. You know, I mean, and it was kind of coming full circle a little bit because I'm not going to say the guy's name just to leave his, his, his wife some privacy, but for the Marine who was killed, they said, you know, it's his turp, man, his turps coming out. We got to get his turp. Yeah. Done. And right. so it was kind of a testament to, to one of our guys that we lost who, you know, was an amazing human being as is, is obvious by the fact that he's going to be on the wall down at SOCOM forever. It's incredible. I mean, it really is. And uh, no, I just second, you know, what you guys said. I mean, it does. It makes me proud of the military and all the hard work that they're doing out there and just putting in the work and going above and beyond to get all these folks out of there as quickly as they can. Yeah, it's a hell of a thing. It's a hell of a thing. I mean, there's a bunch of tragedy within it, but it's a hell of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I know that somehow the Taliban had infiltrated some of the communication channel, not, not yours, but some, I guess it's something that the Afghans were using or whatever and sending out messages as if they were the state department, like trying to lure them to a particular place. Like it's, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's more challenging than it even looks. And it looks exceptionally challenging. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm familiar with what you're talking about. It was basically telling everybody, to meet at a particular hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was quickly determined that that was not sent out by the person that, that actually uh, it was sent out by the Taliban. So I'd only say that's just, that's just an indication of what's to come. Uh, I'm really concerned that we have quite a lot of people who have SIVs now in and around the airport. And when we're gone, um, that's who the Taliban's looking for. Right, right. Those are the number one. The more you did, whether you were a commando or you were in the NDS uh, special operations element, those are the top of the list. Right. Those are the top of the list. So, um, uh, as Worth already mentioned, and I'll and I'll continue to say, this effort's not going to be done just because uh, we're not out of there on thirty first. We're going to keep working every way we can to help facilitate this. Um, and as you heard from the Secretary of State today, so is the United States, and I think we owe it to them. But it's it, it's these last few days are going to be challenging, and it's going to be full of uh, desperation. But I just I think it's important for people to know that even if they don't get out, um, there's still going to be an effort to look after them and do right by them. Guys, I want to remind you again, there are a few email addresses down in the description of this video. Uh, 
One of the emails is for people who want to volunteer to help Mick and Worth out with this effort. As they're talking about, they have guys who have been, they took time off from their job. They're on vacation. They're, you know, sleeping a couple hours a night, if that, and people are getting burned out. So they need help. Uh, they need volunteers. Uh, if you think you can do something to help out, please hit that uh, email address and let them know. There's a secondary email down there for people who are in Afghanistan who need to be evacuated. And that's how you can get in touch with these guys here and get the ball rolling on that. Uh, so Mick and Worth, uh, final thoughts before we let you go here. We have a second guest, uh, retired Army Colonel Mike Jason, who's going to dial in in a couple minutes before we get to him. Uh, final thoughts from you two. Um, I guess I'll go first and let Mick wrap it all up. I mean, again, this has been a, a, a trying week for everyone, no more so than, you know, no one more than the Afghans. Um, and we, we've heard a lot of stories, and frankly, their their voices are getting more desperate. The the emails that I'm getting in the plane at, at all my various methods of contact are more and more desperate. Um, but we will keep the faith with you. Um, we will still be here going forward. No one left behind will be here. They've been here for years. They're going to continue to be here to support. And, uh, and we'll transition to the kind of support that, that everyone's going to require, whether that be helping people move out uh, ultimately and then resettle, um, job training, whatever it is for these folks that are going to have to start entirely new lives, uh, not in any small measure because they spent a lot of their lives supporting us. Yeah, and I would just say super proud to be part, just one part of this this team. Uh, most people behind the scenes are the ones that are doing the Herculean effort that's actually getting these these folks out. So super proud of that. But at the end of the day, this is about the commitment we've made to uh, our Afghan partners. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to get you out in the next few days, and we're going to stay with you after that. And I just ask all Americans – uh, actually, ask all vets that have served in Afghanistan to talk to your fellow Americans and explain just how good of people these are and mm -hmm. why you want them in your community and why they would make such good Americans. And I think that is something we all can do. And once again, just proud to be just one part of the team. We've we've had some questions tonight where people donated money to uh, or given money to I ask questions. I don't but, think we but, have time to go. Well, I, yeah, and I just want to tell you, I just want to thank everybody who did. We just we don't want to like get off topic or derail derail this conversation. Look, we, we are going to have Mick on the team house in October to talk about his career. So we'll we'll get into all that kind of stuff when yeah. the time comes. Hopefully, under much better circumstances by the time we get to October. And you know, Jack and I haven't talked about this, so yeah, but I don't think he'd disagree that anything that anybody sent in tonight, we're gonna we're gonna pass forward. You know, um, you know, to to help the efforts. Yeah. You know. Dave and I can maybe answer the questions as best we yeah. can after we wrap up. Um, so, guys, thank you for taking some time out of your day. Uh, I know you're both very busy with all of this. I appreciate you joining us. And um, if there's anything further we can do, please let us know. Will do. Thanks so much for helping. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, guys. Thanks, Great. guys. You can go ahead and, and punch, at, punch out of here, and I'm going to get Mike dialed in. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. You too. Really appreciate that. Huge. Yeah, anything we can do. Yeah, guys. Uh, again, we we always deeply appreciate uh, everybody who donates money during the show for your questions and everything. And, and we don't 
We don't want you to feel like we take you for granted at all. We, we just, can, while we wait for Mike, we can answer. A uh, few we can look at you. some of these questions. Um, and uh, hey, so Jackson, you had a you had a question for uh, Mick. You can ask him on Friday. You don't you know you don't need to donate again. Just like call our attention to it uh, to the fact you already asked this question and. and Okay, yeah, it'll be, uh, I'll give you the exact date when Mick is going to be oh, on. Oh, right, not Friday, but. It's, it's October, October 8th. Right. We'll have him on. Right. Um, oh, here he is. All right, audio is connecting. Hi, Mike, can you hear us? Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm Good. Doing okay. How are you? Uh, like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're live right now. You are on the show. Uh, I want to introduce you guys to retired Colonel Mike Jason. Mike is running, it is Allied Airlift 21. That's it. And there's a link down in the description of this video. You guys can hit that up. Uh, let's just start off real quick, Mike, if you could give us a quick introduction of yourself. Uh, hey, it's great to meet you, or to talk to you finally, after uh, pinging back and forth on the social Thank you. mediums. Uh, look, I, I was an Army officer uh, 24 years, you know, West Point grad, uh, armor officer, but, you know, like, God knows GWAT, you get to do a bit of everything. Iraq, Afghanistan, Kosovo, the works, and I retired in 19, and then, uh, and sort of did, did you know, I work on a, I'm a consultant, like a lot of uh, retired Mike, can, can you, can you mute whatever that ringing is? I'm because sure as hell trying, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to turn everything off. That is a chief of staff of a cabinet member that's texting me, so... Uh, that's where things are at right, right. now. Wow. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so look, I did the whole GWAT thing. And then, uh, like everybody else, I, I somehow stumbled into uh, this whole uh, this whole activity this week and uh, working like so many to help our allies get out of Afghanistan. I think that's all the important stuff people need to know about me. Absolutely, man. So tell us about that. How, how did you get brought into this effort and set up Allied Airlift? I, you know, I, I've had a thing for my, I, I hate, I say my terps, my wife hates it when I say that. She's like, they're not yours. Or, I'm like, but there's a sense of ownership. Like, these are my people. These are my part of my team. So uh, I was in Iraq in, you know, a couple times. And then uh, I was with, uh, you know, long story short, I was with Bob Woodruff when he got wounded. And it was actually my interpreter, Omar, that saved his life. And through that story and a little bit of advocacy from a very famous journalist, like that really kick-started the SIV program, the special immigration visa. So fast forward, you know, Afghanistan's starting to turn down. Uh, and then, uh, you know, through a mentor, they're like, oh, we want some veterans for a, a, a show on TV. Like this was two months ago. And that's when it kind of started. And I used my five minutes of fame to say, hey, listen, we need to get these guys out of here. Started beating the drums and uh, started talking to uh, Matt Zeller online and kind of just, you know, hashtagging like, hey, this Guam thing, we got to do something. Anyhow, so uh, fast forward again, two weeks, and I, I wrote this piece in the Atlantic. Coincidentally, like it wasn't any much of anything. It was about the Afghan forces. But that weekend, Kabul falls. And all of a sudden, I'm doing all this media. And, and then at the same time, I'm texting with my war college classmate, who's an Afghan commando, and trying with my Italian classmates to get him out. And, and I'm, I'm just frantic, like talking to his daughters in the States, I'm texting with him in Italian and broken English and, and with my Italian classmates and with trying to find the commander of the Kabul airfield. I got the hold of the NCO at the tower. Like who's going to, like everybody did all these rat lines a day Kabul falls. Right. And so and I got him out and uh, you know, we got him out. I should say all of us. 
And so I tweeted, I was happy about it. I'm like, yeah, it was such a relief. And then all of a sudden, like everything, it was like a cacophony of like DMs and Facebook. And then I, by Tuesday, I'm texting with these West Pointers that are like, we're, we're doing the same thing. How did you do it? And, and just, I became like the old guy. And this is very uh, younger graduates. I say younger because I'm an old ball guy. And they were, a lot of them were out of the army and they're techs and they had classmates. They were, the Afghanistan sent West Point cadets. They graduated, went back to the Afghan army. They had three with their families. And there was, it was a group of four West Pointers that wanted to get their classmates out. And they just got together and did the same thing I did. We're all sharing. And this is Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm sort of becoming kind of the old guy that's like, listen, we should talk to this guy. By Saturday, I get a Zoom call and they're like, look, this thing's exploding. And another classmate of mine's on the net. Uh, and he's like, we got to, we, we, we want you to be the interim executive director and, and go, we need to go bigger. And I was like, what do you say? Like, I hadn't slept in three days. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I call my buddies. I'm like, let's go. So I've got, you know, my, my old classmate is the chief of staff and a friend of mine from G3. She's the three. And then we just started bringing people in and more caseworkers and, and pre, we, I don't know, there's like 250, 300 volunteers right now. And we're just wow. jamming 24 seven. And look, what, what are we doing? We are do, trying to do a validated, vetted, if you can say that, uh, digital Schindler's list for Afghanistan. That's my daughter back behind us. That's okay. Uh, that, you know, we're going to try and get everybody out. But if we don't, then this is the record, you know, and uh, this is the, this is, it's got everything on it. And everybody there has, an, a, you know, whether you're a veteran and you're like, I got my turp. Um, and, it's, uh, it's okay. She can be on the show too, if she wants. Okay. <laughs> so I, I got my turp. So you're vouching for them because a lot of the other sites are just hoovers. Like I, I was a commando. Sure you were, but ours are like, these are my people. I vouch for them. Here's their documents. And we look, we're up to 21,000 people. They include American citizens and their families, visa holders, um, third country nationals, everything that you can think of. And look, the, the rat lines are done. You know, the, the drug deals at the gate get my family in. That's not happening. So our last best hope is this final evacuation. We, we give this product to the United States government and we're, we're in, I think. I don't know if they're going to use it. And we, don't, we, did, we did all your homework. We validated them. We've got all their documents. We have all the information. You can, you can distribute the spreadsheet into a manifest, call them up. We are in contact with them. We have caseworkers. We can find them. We'll get them transportation. Tell me where to go. You want them wearing red hats at four o'clock in the morning at the North Gate? I got them. And then uh, and if what doesn't make it, um, then we know who it is that we have to go get. And that's the American promise. Uh-huh. Hey, buddy. And so the website is, it's alliedairlift21.org. Okay. Uh, and that's what I've been referring a lot of people to because I, I get these DMs and texts and everything from people left and right as well. Like, oh my God, I, like, I got to get my people out of there. And I send them towards that website. Um, what does that process look like when a Afghan lands on that website and types their information in? What's, what's the process for them going forward? So we prefer, I mean, obviously, because it helps with the, with the vetting, we prefer that, you know, we enter the data. I mean, remember, you know, you've been downrange. You know what these Afghans are going through. They're, they're in, in a hideout. Their signal sucks. They're scared. You know, they're, they're hungry. They're thirsty. They don't know what's happening. There might be power outages. 
it's better if we do it and we become the conduit. That was kind of the original model. But it doesn't matter. You get in there and you start registering and you start explaining the situation and whatever documents you have, you load. And then we try to get a caseworker. You know, 72 hours ago, we had six caseworkers and 8,000 cases. Uh, now we have, I, I forget, 100 caseworkers and 21,000 cases. And by the way, we're trying to be responsible. This is serious PII right. that we're asking for trust. Not only that, their location. So we're trying, we're securing the material and we're vetting the, and it started with a bunch of like, Hey, I know that guy, whatever. Like I got, I need volunteers. Well, now we're, we're doing ID me for our, our volunteers. We're, we have a training video so that they know how they're dealing with the data and how they're putting it in the system. Um, and then we, we immediately, right now the crunch is we're looking at that. Okay. This guy says he's an American citizen or he's got a visa. Um, uh, we, we, okay. What did they upload? And we look at it. Does this make sense? Is this the right picture? Is this, is this the category they say they are? Um, and, and then, and then we go from there. And then for a lot of them, they have, like I said, it's caseworker. So we follow up. Where are you right now? They look, you know how it is. Many of you veterans are doing this. You've got Slack, you've got WhatsApp and they're texting you and they're scared. Should I go to the gate? Should I not go to the gate? Should I go to Kabul? And that's what our people are doing. And I've, we are trying right now. We've got volunteers. Uh, so as it turns out, mental health is bound by states. And we've got, I've got a guy in Belgium. I've got people on the West Coast. And I've got voluntary psychiatrists that want to help us with our own mental resilience. And we can't figure out how to cross state boundaries to help the team. I mean, these are modern day challenges of, of what we're trying to do. Wow. So- I mean, just so so many questions. I mean, how many? You said you have twenty one thousand cases you're currently trying to handle. Yeah. How many do you think you've processed so far and got, gotten out of there? Well, gotten out is a different thing. Uh, we've gotten uh, probably several hundred people inside the gates of the airport. So whether they've actually been able to make a flight or not, we we can't confirm that all, on all of them yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we believe at at this point in time we're sitting at. 12 to 1300 people that, that meet and in a groups of, uh, you know, I think each, each line or a case is like a family group and, and, and average there are at least five people. Right. So a lot of these American citizens, like they're AMSITs, but they married, they're, they're naturalized or, and, and they've got, you know, a spouse and, and children or parents or brothers and sisters that are Afghans. So they're not the entire group has a blue passport. So that's the complexity of this. Right. In essence, it's like our system is asking them, hey, you can get out, but leave your family. And of course, right. they're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So I, I would say right now that the last count uh, that, you know, we've sent to some of the leadership is like, look, I can, I can promise it's a degree of confidence from the very top. There's at least 1,200 people like they should be on a plane tonight. Like they're ready to move everything. I've got, what document do you want? How do you want me to spin it? Um, and then it just starts going down. Like maybe that, you know, maybe there's, it's a family of nine and like one child doesn't have a document, you know, or, um, in, or something is missing, uh, you know, and it just starts going down from that. And then a lot of Afghans self-register and you have to get to them. You know, like, I, I don't know, like I said, you say you're SIV, but there's no number. Um, so it, it takes a while to, to do that, that vetting, but that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's, that's the only thing we can do right now. I think. With this coming on so quickly, the, the fall of Kabul and everything, were yeah. there, 
were there a number of Afghans who were qualified for SIVs but never put in for it because they're like, ah, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, not only that, okay. I mean, I I got in this argument on, on the media, right, because I, I tweeted something. You know, it was like, uh, you know, uh, uh, the law, the NDA, the National Defense Authorization, said that the SIVs, the maximum was 50-5-0 for Iraq and Afghanistan combined. Now, now a year. Now, what? that is not even a drop in the bucket, right? right. And uh, and somebody said, no, 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 the law was recently changed. It's like up to 4,000. Yeah? Go to state.gov as of last night. It says 50 on the forward-facing site on the page about SIV. So, I mean, like, it was dormant. And, uh, and, and, then, and then you got people that applied in 2014. They're still waiting. And it's like, Oh, schedule an appointment at the embassy in Kabul. Then, of course, COVID hits. Right. Uh, and then some of them are like, you remember how it was. Like, oh, you're a translator. Then this company takes over the contract. And this one, well, now we want you to do a polygraph. Oh, mm-hmm. you failed the polygraph because you got nervous. Or you, you misspelled Muhammad when you translated it from Dari into English. And it's not the same name. And, and the Tashkira number was mistranslated because somebody fat fingered it. And, oh, you, you must have been lying, right? I mean, it's just mind boggling how easy it is to be kicked off an SIV process. So there were thousands of people that had applied or were in a pipeline or were denied for bullshit reasons. Then it was a two-year requirement. Well, you know, we closed this fob and this fob, and then you left that company, went to this company. It's just, again, like, and all of a sudden, oh, the gates are open. Were you an SIV applicant? And, and we're trying to chase that down. The only thing we have is, like a guy like you says, no, this guy was my turf. And, right. and that's what, that's wow. the bread and butter of our organization. So it's like word of mouth almost. Yeah. It's the vouching. Wow, man. You know, I, I heard recently something like the, the administration asked the VA, like how many OEF do we have veterans in the VA system that maybe could help us, you know, vet these files? I'm like, stop. I, I already did the homework for you. Here is a list of 20,000 people and from the top going to the bottom with high degree of confidence that, they worked for, and it's not just military. I, I'm talking to press. Every agency had like a hundred local Afghans, BBC, CNN, uh, NGOs, advocacy groups, companies, DynCor. Like they all have can can jump in and vouch for their people, but they're all in danger. So, is there a database that you have where people can search like by unit to see if if a terp that they worked with is maybe listed there? No, I'm not. I'm not. That that is what that's our for a company. That's what we're protecting. And look, I'm I'm entering right. uncharted territory. I'm hiding it behind. It's in a secure commercial site. But now we're talking to Salesforce, which deals with the government, to make sure we firewall it even more. I hired a a, a neighbor of mine. I hired. He's a volunteer. He's a neighbor of mine, Annapolis Navy grad, and he's a cyber intel guy. My task force Jag from Sodaf. Uh, he's an attorney and he's a cyber guy now. And he's my counter. He's my, my general counsel. I'm like, dude, are we doing this right? Cause we got PII, we got information, yeah, right. we got to protect this. Um, you know, are we safeguard? So I'm doing ID me for all of our volunteers. Like we right. are, this is the, the gems. Cause this is these people's lives that they've entrusted us with. So uh, we've tried to set up. So like you're a caseworker, you enter your case, but you don't get access to the kingdom. Right. Uh, that's only for like the leadership. And then right. when, Official people ask us, give me the list. Like I and like the senior people approve it. And then we email it. And it's, it looks like a spreadsheet, but it's like multiple layers of depth. 
Uh, but behind it, if we actually get in with the Salesforce, you know, people and, and within inside the DoD, like I have the imagery of all of their documentation, right? Like digital as well, right? Yeah, Salesforce actually seems like a good a good product for, yeah. for that. We're, we're it's it's happening. We're already we're just trying to figure out when do we digitally transfer without losing momentum of the caseload. Right, right. I can't believe what you guys have done in just like what two week <laughs> two weeks, if that. Yeah, uh, nine days, I think, officially. It's unreal, and um, I, I wish we saw this sort of level of cooperation uh, more often, you know? I, I think it's a great thing you guys are doing. I want to I talk cooperation, because, look, I'll tell you, we're like a task force. And, I, I mean, Digital Dunker, I think somebody's trying to brand it. I know we use the hashtag somewhere, but, like, it's like Me Too. It's it's a rallying cry. Right, right. So uh, then we tried Afghan EVAC, because... Dunkirk was a little Western. I, I forget. There was a reason it didn't, whatever. But look, no one left behind. Uh, Team America. We, we all have like twi- two meetings, a meeting every 12 hours to crosstalk. Uh, we share lessons learned. Uh, we, we exchange, it's basically we exchange LNOs. Uh, and and uh, the community has been collaborating uh, pretty significantly. Uh, I think our, our product is the list. Uh, I think that's, we stumbled into it. Uh, and that seems to be kind of the, the one thing that might survive because it is, it is the digital promise to these people uh, that, that somebody still remembers them and is going to try to get them out. Right. So since the whole thing with somebody remembering them, and since obviously for intelligence reasons and, and the, their safety and everything else, people yep. can't just publicly access this, uh, how, how can people help? If anybody's in our audience, you know, worked with Afghani Terps and wants to help vet or verify, what do they do? Do they go, do they do an ID me and they says with this unit and then. It- no. So our, yeah, our, at this point, uh, there's two, yeah, obviously two. Well, we're, we're, look, this is a race against time. Right. Uh, you, know, you I think, uh, some of you might be some paratroopers. I, I did just five, but look, I remember distinctly pulling the wrong slip, but jump school. And the guy with the megaphone says, hold what you got, Airborne. We're, we're at that point. Right. And uh, it, we're riding a storm for the next 48, 72. And it's almost like it, we decided it became distracting to bring on more people and train them right. because we're in a storm. But the way we set it up and because maybe we get an extension. So we, there's two entry points. It's basically I, I'm trying to get people out. So I go here. And you can do it as a veteran, as an NGO, as a media person. I've got, look, I got a guy. In several senior media people that have entered their information for their person. And it helps a lot because they're on the line, right? So when I pass this to the government, it's like, look, they're vouched for. And then there's volunteers and we sign, you sign up. And then, uh, you know, we, we've had, we've had a huge dump of people and it's very difficult because we, you know, we, we want to stop and train you and identify you. I literally got five of my West Point classmates, 95. So world, right. So like retired colonels and Lieutenant colonels, and very professional civilians that like all they did for the last 48 hours was go through applications of like, is this person who they say they are? Is there a three week presence on, on the internet? Like, because we can't trust these people. We can't trust a rando right. with our people's lives. Right. And that's, that's where we're at. Right. Yeah. That it seems exceptionally challenging uh, on, on, on like three uh, on multiple dimensions. Right. Right. I mean, so, I, like I said, we're, and, and then we're trying, you know, we're trying to safeguard the stuff. So we're like, 
we'd buy things. Okay, now we buy things. We got to raise money. So now I got to have a board, right? And some of the young, the guys that started are like, "You're making this too complicated. Why do we have a board?" I'm like, "Because to buy this protection, I have to raise money. And I got donors, but now I got to have governance. Right. And now I have to have a board of, and a CFO, right? And I got to file five hundred one, you know, what C three, right? Like we are, we're fi- We filed. Um, and uh, you know, can we not send somebody a Gmail account? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we got to do that too. And zoom licenses. Right. I mean, it's just like, we didn't, we were a bunch of officers trying to get our friends out a week ago, Tuesday. So is there anything that our audience or people that they have contact with, is there anything that they can do for you? Is there any kind of help that you guys need? Yeah. Uh, Look, we, we are where we are in the storm right now for getting people out. Like that is out of most of our hands. But we we don't have to we don't have to quit here. We and and we have to start thinking about what the pivot looks like. That's what our organization's doing. All right. So first of all, a lot of people want to donate money. I don't need your money. I got plenty of money to. We're all volunteers. None of us are getting paid. None of us are buying equipment. And and I've got the donations that we need to do the little things we need to do. I think it's the Lutheran Refugee Services. They're going to be at the forefront of resettlement in the United States. So that's a good place to dump your money. And, and at some point, there are other organizations that are doing it too, the International Red Cross. Um, the second piece is the counter narratives are already started. All right. I don't need to name people, but look, the, the, these aren't like dregs of, these are our partners and their families. These are our allies. These are people we fought with. Mm-hmm. So if your audience wants to do something, be positive, be welcoming in your community and tell anybody who has any doubt that these, these are our brothers and sisters and they're, they're absolutely welcome in our communities to start their lives with nothing based on their faith and that they put in us. And we owe everything to them and we will be there shana by shana, shoulder by shoulder as we help them get their new lives uh, back on the ground. And then, and then long-term, so that's that effort and long-term we're not going to get everybody out. So the, the issue is we're, what are we going to do? And then we got to keep ringing that bell and we got to keep, keep the story alive and keep, keep, keep the efforts alive. Somebody's going to get out and they're going to say, hi, I used to be a Terp 10 years ago. And we're going to be like, I got the list Mm -hmm. and we can validate that. And you're welcome in the United States because the story's not over yet. Wow, man. Hardcore, Mike. I mean, I really appreciate everything you guys are doing here and and I'll continue to refer people to allied, allied airlift 21.org. Um, for people who are trying to get evacuated out of Afghanistan, uh, any stories um, before you know we, we wrap up? Are there any stories, any success stories, anything you really want to highlight, put a spotlight on for people out there who wonder what this is all about? I mean, there there are so many. Uh, you know, I think stuff's already made it in the press. You know, like you know, go to the go to the X gate and have your kids carry balloons and, and then, you know, the guards know who they are or, you know, um, there, there's just, you know, have the Mary, the Mary Poppins umbrella was another one for, for recognition. Um, there's just so many, uh, so many heart rendering stories out there. Um, but there's nothing. And again, there haven't been enough. There haven't been enough. But when you see those photos, because they're really quick, man, to send you the digital selfie when they're sitting in that, that freaking freedom bird. Right. Uh, you know. Right. When I got my guy, I mean, and his family and they're sitting in a plane, there's nothing like it. And, and uh, we got too many of them. And, and we, just, we can't stop. 
So you said you ha- you have enough volunteers at the moment, or you're 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 not training up anybody because you're kind of in, in the eye of the storm right now, just making right. things happen. Um, is there anything else people need to know other than AlliedAirlift21.org? We uh, look. We yeah. Here's the ask. And if you're in government, or if you have, and and we're working this. I mean, we're the highest levels, the highest levels. Um, but. If there's ever any doubt, you know, the bureaucratic process, the SIV application, we have done the homework for the Department of State, the Department of Defense. Our product is digital. It is ready to go. We can email it any way they want. It's safe. It's secure. It's got every phone number, every vouching. You go down on a level of confidence. Just take it, put it in a redonculator, and spit out your manifest and get my people on an aircraft. We, we've done the work for you. There's a bunch of guys with laptops in a hotel somewhere in Kabul trying to figure it out. You know, based on, on our, we've done it. We've validated these people. Get them on a plane. The, the Allied Airlift 21 register is ready to go, and uh, we can get thousands of people on a plane tonight. They're it, ready to move. It, so, you're, so you're looking the next step to interface with Department of State and INS, the various organizations that handle this stuff. I'm looking right now, state and DOD, to, to, to officially, I should say, receive and my document, our document, and translate it into 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 an evacuation plan. Right. And I've done, done the work for them. They just have to literally flip the charts to a manifest and break it up by air flights. Gotcha. Right. And I mean, I'm is that... Them. I can update them every 10 minutes. Is that... Flights. Sorry about that. Is that some of the pushback that, that is... That might be coming from from government or, or or whomever is the worried about you know these people not being vetted you know people slipping on they, but the people that you guys are putting forth are people that who have already been vetted by military and civilian personnel who have worked with them who know them who's like yes this is who they worked with us they they will get an AMSIT who says I'm an American and I have nine family members and I want to get out and they apply on a state website and. Somewhere a state person who's maybe evacuating him or herself or sitting in a hotel ballroom in downtown Kabul or at a whatever building they're using now has to sit there and, okay, show me your passports, right? I've done that for it to a degree of certainty for thousands of people. Right. It, and That's amazing. Completely done. Emails, points of contact, cell phones. You want to text them? You know, grab this column, send out your cyber push. Done. Right. So- I, the, the selling point is I, I already did this. Right. Just get them on a flight. Right. We'll check the work, get them on a flight. Right. The data is all there. It's all ready to go. Yeah. Especially, especially the 5,000 SIVs. Mm-hmm. 5,000. And we just got a couple days left before the deadline for the withdrawal. Yep. What is it? It's the 31st. So we have, what, First. six, five 31st, days? 31st, backdate, backdate, yeah. whatever it takes for them to get their shit out of there, right? Right. Right. Unreal, man. I mean, really, I, I appreciate everything you guys are doing, Mike. Um, Eddie, before we let you go, I know you, you're tired as hell and got like many other like real things to attend to at this moment. Any final thoughts here before, before we let you go tonight? Um, look, I know a lot of our generation is dealing with a lot, um, a lot right now. Uh, you know, I, hats off to, I never understood the Vietnam generation. Um, They've been some of them that I know have been very kind. Um, you know, they 
they probably saw Saigon fall in a, in a bar or in a restaurant or in TV in their living room by themselves. Thank God we have sort of the social media because at least we know we're not alone. Uh-huh. So to all of you out there, you're not alone. We're all processing this kind of shock and grief and rage at the same time. But this is not about now is not the time to feel sorry for ourselves. We got to get as many out. And when, they, when, when the wall closes and we know we're not going to get everybody, then we'll feel shock and rage again. And that's still not the time to feel sorry for ourselves because we got to help them start their new lives. Right. So we have a mission on top of a mission on top of a mission. Do not hit the bottle. Now is not the time. Uh, we, our organization, me personally, I'm asking you all veterans, my peers, my friends, stand up again. There's still more work to do. Thank you so much for joining us here tonight, Mike, and, and kind of getting this message out there. Um, I hope that we talk again under better circumstances. And if there's anything you can, you know, anything we can do for you on our end, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks, brother. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, I've wanted to get on this thing for a while. It's great to talk to you finally. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it again under better circumstances when things calm down a little bit. Yeah, you bet. All right, Mike, take care, man. Have a nice night. Thanks, Mike. And again, everyone out there, alliedairlift21.org is the place to refer people to. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night, Mike. So everyone out there, uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. This is kind of a, uh, a different episode than what we normally do, um, but I think it was an important one. I know a bunch of people did uh, make some donations here and ask some questions. Uh, do you want to go through them? Uh, as best we can, Dave. Uh, Jackson yeah. asks, um, how accurate are the rumors of 22 SAS kinetically targeting Taliban cells essentially behind enemy lines? The media has run with this narrative. I haven't heard anything about that. Uh, he said, thank you guys for all you're doing. Larry says, here is money. Get them home. Man, Larry, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not the guy... To donate money to we, we, for we this. Will, though, everything that was donated on tonight's show, we will we, send we, forward. We probably give it to. Uh, he, he said he started a five hundred one c three. So I'm well, sure. they don't need money. We can. We'll we'll probably send it to uh, the Team America or the. Uh, yeah, I'm, there's uh, yeah. some there's someone we can give it to. I'm sure. Uh, Jerry, can I share this email with other SF guys? Man, it's public. It's it's they put it out there. It's for anybody who needs it. Uh, something like Operation Samoom in 1990? I don't know anything about that, I'm afraid. Is there any truth to Eric Prince charging 6500 per seat for EVAC and an additional rate for a personal escort from their homes? I know that that came out in the news today. I have no idea if that's true or not. And... Oh, here we go. Hottest of takes. Afghanistan would not be in this situation if we had gone with Eric Prince's plan in 2018. Sure thing, dude. Uh, what was the plan? I don't know what the plan he, was. He, he was. He was trying to sell shit to, to uh, the White House at the time. Um, so, man, that's, that's it. I, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> well, I think that one of the important things, uh, just like uh, Mike just said was sort of the pushback or the 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 narrative, sort of regardless of how a person might feel of you know um, of different uh, uh, refugee programs that the United States has sponsored in the past, or the United States's uh, ability or willingness or whatever to vet those people 
what, whatever you might think about any of that, this is not that. Um, the people that you've had that we've had on tonight, the the people, uh, you know, the, the other people that are involved with these, the, these we're dealing with a couple different things. One, we're dealing with U.S. citizens who are naturalized U.S. citizens, people who maybe grew up in the United States, you know, came here. Or their families came here during the time of the Russians when they were young or whatever else. They're, they're they, Afghan Americans. They're Afghan Americans. Then they went back to Afghanistan to work as interpreters. Um, and they still had family members over there and, you know, are attempting to leave, but also leave with their family members. Or we have the interpreters who have, you know, worked side by side with United States troops. and. You know, if you're worried about who are we letting over, the, these people have had the lives of U.S. soldiers, airmen, and Marines in their hands at, at any given time and have stuck with the fight, have stayed with the fight, have, you know, proven themselves reliable and trustworthy. And they... They are people who are incredibly deserving of, you know, of U.S. citizenship. I mean, we've had partnerships with places like the Philippines in the past mm -hmm. where if, you know, somebody served in the United States military, typically the Navy, for four years and they would get, you know, be qualified for citizenship. This is sort of like that where these people have lived a military life um, side by side with U.S. soldiers. and some of them. For years and years and years, so that if we could, I think that if we could, yeah, they're, they're know, already vetted. We, they've already proved their loyalty to us. Like that's that's really not the question. They've, they've proved it under combat, right? Under, under threat of their lives, under, so. right? And so I think that if if we could sort of ask anything of you, is it when you see this narrative come out, just you know. Remind people that this isn't whatever they think it is. This is people who have lived with us, yeah. fought with us, you know, uh, you know, broken bread with us for years, and where what? That's why so many veterans and you know so many people are so invested in getting them out because they know these people. They they know them. Um, they have fought with them. You know. They've lost, they've lost, you know, loved ones with them. So that I think that's yeah, a really absolutely, important message. Absolutely, uh, these these are definitely the type of people we want to come to America and live here, and they make great Americans. And I mentioned, you know, the example of my interpreter, uh, actually, interpreters oral, um, who are Yezidi uh, in Iraq, and now they live here in the United States, and they're they're just thriving, uh, and it's amazing amazing the, the journey they've been on and now we're about to see thousands if not you know over ten thousand afghans make that same journey um you know as much like mike jason said like it's a monumental task um and, and i do think we're up to it um but yeah it, we can't there can't be any bullshit thrown in the mix the, these are the, the the vietnamese you know the mountain yards and you know lots um, of them came here you know the the refugees that the Vietnam vets were so you know it was a lot of it was a lot of special forces veterans that went back there and got the mountain yards out right you know and and 
you know, this this is a very similar situation. Um, so for those of you who are kind of late and joining us now and want to know how you can help, uh, there, there are two asks here. One with the Digital Dunkirk guys, the emails are right there, Team America. At, oh, those uh, for the volunteers, um, you can either join their Facebook group and and or it's uh, Melissa SJK at gmail.com. Um, and then they also, I think through Team America, I believe is uh, is they, you hit hit those emails down in the description. Uh, those are the ones those guys gave me, uh, Mick and Worth, uh, for the digital Dunkirk uh, effort. Um, there's one email is for people who want to volunteer and help them out. The other one is for people who actually need to be evacuated. And then the secondary effort that uh, Mike Jason shared with us is alliedairlift21.org, and there's a link to that down in the description. Right, and then there's also what um, what Mike had mentioned was the Lutheran uh, Immigration and Refugee Service who has who will be taking the lead on the resettlement of a lot of these uh, Afghan uh, Afghan refugees. So you can go to their site at www.lirs.org and either donate or volunteer um, for for that effort. So, so yeah, guys. I mean, it's uh, this is like a heavy subject. It's a it's a breaking news subject. Again, we don't normally cover breaking news in that sense on the Team House, but I'm really glad that we did this episode. I think it was very meaningful. I think it's a worthy cause. It's something we got to do, and. Um, I think it's as depressing and sad as a lot of it is. It's also very uh, inspiring to see how many of these veterans have like kind of come together and cooperated and worked with one another to just get shit done. Um, it's been really impressive, and that's why we want to just lend our support, do the do the little media support that we can on our end uh, for some of these gents out there who are really working hard on it. And I on Friday. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, we're going to have Jamie Caldwell on the team house this Friday at our normal time at 8 p.m. He is a retired sergeant major, and he was a unit operator. I checked with him. He's, he's, letting, me, he's letting me say unit operator. I can't, I can't say more than that. You'll just have to fill in the blanks on your own. Really good guy. Um, so we'll be talking to him on Friday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, please spread the word uh, about these organizations and, and about the effort that they are, you know, are putting in. So, that's it. 